The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Ops, ops, ops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I Candy Kimsey. My candies are jolly. <laughs> <laughs> As he says that in his Got Wood shirt today. And Sarita Edgerton is here. Sarita, the Rita today. You're going to read a lot today. I am. I thought Ralph was reading. Ralph's not here. Ralph's in San Antonio. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're not jacking him in. Okay. Behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. There's a kitten in here. It's <laughs> yeah? Just, it's very cute. It is very nice. cute. I didn't. I wanted it in here, not in there. Not because I wanted him to stay out of trouble, but because I wanted to be able to pet the kitten as this went along. Uh-oh. Is he purring? What is this? It sounds like a lawnmower. I think it's uh, the the new intro music. Sinister. <laughs> and Cherry. Oh my. The Annihilator Lewis. Hello. <laughs> That's amazing. So Rick Flair. Yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> All right. Limousine riding. <laughs> Make it stop. <laughs> The Nature Boy. <laughs> Woo, They've got a documentary me. about the Nature Boy out. Have you guys seen that? He still wrestles. He's like what ninety four. <laughs> Listen, I met him one time. He's he not, is not. Um, he is not nature. He's, he's not, not handsome. All that. He is not natural. What do you mean he's not natural? I've never seen anybody that color before in real life. Oh yeah, he's super like orange glow tan. He was the housewives was- of. Beverly Hills or whatever before the Housewives of Beverly <laughs> yeah, Hills or Real was, Wives or whatever that's called. That was before spray tan, right? Oh like yeah, Rick he did Flair ask me to drive. He did just, ask me to drive his Mercedes. I said ooh, no, thank you. Did he? He did. Him what? and Roch, Macho Man ran to seven. Oh my God, really? Rick Flair never wow. asked me to drive his Mercedes. <laughs> no. <Woo>. Well, <laughs> you weren't his type. I was thinking. I used to be young and skinny and young. <laughs> young and skinny. No, she said and, young young and, and young. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to be young and fat. Right. Cherry? <laughs> yes? Cherry, can we pick that mic up a little bit and drag it in just a hair? Pretty please. A hair? Well, well, we got a real special guest. Um, one of my great friends, Zach Connors is here. Zach, thanks for being in studio with us. Good to be here. Yeah, man. I'm excited. He said he's listened to the uh, podcast before, which is cool because he's, he's come in. So that's neat. Well, he doesn't. It's it's nice because uh, he doesn't have to be shy because you know some of the testimonials are real. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure, are, are real and and it's nice to have a a base level to come in and be like, oh, okay, these people are being honest. Yeah, and you know what I mean. You'd be surprised. Some people come in, they've got like their it's on their phones or notepads. Like Mary McLeod, she was like, I've got points, and she went through those points like she followed it. Same thing, you know, with some of those. You didn't. Sarita just came in. Well, I was going to do that, she but I'm lazy. All the way through. I just wing. I call it winging it. Yeah, yeah. that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you can wing it. So, well, why don't we just jump right into it, Zach? I ask every single guest that comes on the testimony series to try to remember the earliest memory of when they heard about Jesus Christ. Do you have any idea? I was probably... Three, four years old. 
Yeah. I mean, I grew up in church, so, uh, I mean, it was it was always around. I mean, as far as, like, actually remembering the first time, I don't, but. Yeah, but it was always a part of your life. Yes. From birth. Yes. Wow. That must be really something. Yeah, so, so tell me now, from the point that you heard about him, all the way up to the point whenever you got saved. Do you know when that was? Yes. I was five years old when we was at an Easter play. Uh, I can't remember where. I just remember sitting there in the back on a Saturday night and knowing that it was now or never. And I got up and went and asked the Lord to save me then and never looked back. Yeah. And so it's just, and I've heard of other people that, I, like, I had an experience when I was 10, but then, like, I I went away from it, you know, from a long time. So it didn't really, like, take. It was much later in life before it really hit me. Yeah. So for you, it hit you young, and you never looked back. No. Yeah. I mean, it's always been a big part of my life uh, growing up, and then even, you know, as I got older, you know, you know what's right and wrong, and you try to 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 stay more on the right side of things, and you make mistakes. I mean, it happens. Everybody does it. Yeah, except for me. But oh, well. well, Rick, you're perfect. <laughs> Yikes. Yes, we know. I've never made a mistake. Ask my wife; she'll tell you. <laughs> no. Watch out for that lightning. <clears throat> so, try to take me from the age of five to the present. Like, is it, and don't be quick about it. Take your time and just you know talk about it. I'm really curious. So I don't know your testimony whatsoever. Uh, growing up, we we jumped. Nobody does because I've never given it. Wow. This is the first time I've ever given, like, my whole—I've testified at church, but sure. I've, I've never really given my testimony. Right. Um, there's just a lot of things that you just don't talk about. and Sure. It's, I've always found it better to leave me out of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get you. <laughs> so, um, I was about—I was five years old when I got saved. Um, we uh, went to three or four different churches, grew up very Southern Baptist. You don't wear shorts, you don't wear pants—or you wear pants to church, you— Women wear dresses all the time. You're there every time the doors are open. Um, and about 10, I, I felt the Lord really dealing with my heart about uh, accepting the call to preach. Um, and I remember sitting there and, and calling every pastor I knew at the time uh, just to try to find out what that meant. And I knew it was something that was inside of me that uh, I couldn't get away from. Uh, I couldn't shake it every time I go to church. That's what I heard. Um we were going to Fletcher First Baptist at the time, and I called uh, preacher Roy Waldrop, and I asked him. I was like, "Man, I, I don't. I, what What does this mean?" And he said, "If you know, you know." And I knew, and so from that point forward, uh, that's what it was. And I announced my call. Um, we started going to a church in uh, uh, off of Mills Gap Road. Um, I preached at Christmas the first time. I remember it like it was yesterday and just told how God loved people. And from then on, you know, I just tried to make sure that I, I tried to live a good life and hold up to the Christian expectations that, uh, you know, going through school and, and I'd seen a lot of my friends, they they were off doing, trying drugs and alcohol and things like that. And, and I stayed away from all that stuff, you know. Can I take you back to your call? Yeah. So I've heard this throughout my life, mm -hmm. right? And I just want to investigate a little bit further because I don't have that call. I always joke that I was called to preach mm -hmm. because, and it, I'm not trying to be funny about it, but <laughs> honestly, I was uh, I was at a church called Christ Community Baptist Church, and Philip Trees was the pastor there. His wife was pregnant, and he calls me uh, 
early on a Sunday morning and says, my wife's going into labor. I need you to go open up the church and I need you to give this sermon and like run the whole show and then lock it up. So I always laughed and said I was called to preach thanks to AT&T. I didn't, I wasn't called to preach, but I went, you know, and I, I fulfilled it. It was terrible. As a matter of fact, I opened up the book of Jonah. I read all four chapters and then sent everybody home. Like that's what I did. <laughs> Nothing to preach there, but I've seen other people, not necessarily, you were 10. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen people that young. Like I haven't encountered that, but I've seen other people that were called to preach and, like what? Tell me what that was like. Like what's what's going on in your mind? Uh, I mean, a lot was like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, you know. And then you then you get uh, you know a lot of the the in the South, a lot of the preachers they you're too young, you know. You don't have the respect. You don't know nothing. You you know God's not really calling you to preach. It's more of like a, a charity, so to speak. Of oh yeah, this is what the Lord's done. You know, like an encouragement. But not necessarily like a respectable thing. Mm-hmm. So it was rough. I mean, it was it was definitely difficult. What'd you was, preach about? I mean, anything the Lord put on my heart. Really, it was. Uh, I don't even remember now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just I'd sit down and I'd give the three point message and what's whatever the, the for for us heathens. What's the three point message? Or a ten, you know, a ten year old's three point message. You know, uh, the Lord loves you. Uh, he died for you, and let's go home. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go eat. Make, yeah, Perfect. make sure you end it at 1230. The kids love time. when I pray over over dinner or something because, you know, I'm quick. Thank yeah. you, Lord, for this meal. I'm starving. Let's eat. <laughs> yeah. That's what uh, Jim always says. Uh, good Lord. Good meat. Good God. Let's eat. That's, what I- <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is. So from the time – so from this time when you, you were called to preach, then did you actually – did you preach at your home church, or did you actually go around to other churches, or what? So it was a little bit of a mix of both. Um, I preached at my home church uh, once every six months, and then every once in a while, somebody would call. When I turned about 18, 19 is when it really started. You know, I started going different places. Now, did you have any, um, kind of like when you have a new believer, you always you want them to have a discipleship. You want right. somebody to go and try to teach them how to read the Bible and teach them, you know, teach them things about the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Did you have anybody in your life that like worked with you um, as far as preaching was concerned? Not really. No? No. I was kind of just winging it. <laughs> just just like Sarita, just winging yeah. it. Yeah. I think the only incur- the only thing that was uh, I was led, I was, I was 16, and I worked at Go Grocery. Mm-hmm. And I got off of work one Wednesday night, and I had on a pair of holy jeans because I was at work. And I got to church that Wednesday night, and I got pulled to the back and to the side and told that I shouldn't be dressing like that to come to church because, uh, you know, we needed to wear our best at all times and so on and so forth. So that was about the only Did you tell them that they were holy pants? Yeah, I mean, I tried that. (laughs) (laughs) But they're holy. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that was one of the things, and that's where I started kind of questioning, you know, what is going on here? And, you know, why do we believe what we believe? Sure. There are a lot of traditions that come with it, I think. Yeah. You know? I think there's a, a lot of uh, things that don't jive. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your life from the time you're preaching. You get up to 16. You said 18 things started to change for you. So Yeah. So I started preaching. Uh, we started going to another church. Um, my family, they went from church to church. I don't know why. I just got took for the ride. <laughs> so yeah. we went to, uh, we went, to, we ended up in Hooper's Creek and I started preaching there. Uh, and things were going great. I mean, it was life was good. The Lord was good. You know, everything was working the way that it was supposed to. And that's where I met you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
you know, you let your sinful nature take its course, is what I was told. And uh, my girlfriend at the time got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that was the end of everything. So, yeah. For then. <laughs> right. Um, so... So we had our we had our first child. Um, I was uh, preaching on the radio at the time, um, every other Saturday I think it was, and when she got pregnant, uh, that all stopped. We had a conversation at the church. I understood completely. I mean, it was my fault. I get it. Mm -hmm. I, I respect. You know, I'm very respectful about it. And uh, it was probably it was a few months later. I got a call and. I was told that we needed to make this right, and uh, we needed to get married. And that was the only way that this was ever going to work. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. You know, 21, got a kid, sure. Mm -hmm. Why not? So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you it, know. It's a, strange, it's a strange thing, though. It's very common, I think, in especially in church life or Southern, Southern church life. I'm not even going to say Baptist, just like any church, but, you know, to, to want to hurry you up and get a young couple like that married just so that it, I mean, I get it. Like I kind of get where they're coming from, but you, you might be forced forcing two people together that really shouldn't be together. Maybe they're incompatible. They made it, they, they made a mistake. They cared about each other. You know, they had intercourse, they have a child like this happens, but does that necessarily mean that they need to marry just because of the child? You know, is there a, is there a biblical thing that says that that's required? I don't think there I don't is. I don't think so. No, it's kind That's of a like good question. Not yeah. that I've ever read. There's really not a biblical precedent for it. It's an understand. It's understood, I think. Yeah. Because it should be the ideal marriage is man and woman, and then you have a child, and then you you know train up a child in the way you should go. Like that's the norm. And I think if it's outside of the norm, then it makes it uncomfortable. But because you're a preacher, they go to those different verses in the scripture that talk about what a a preacher should be. Even though it's not a preacher, it's a bishop that you're talking about, or a leader of a church, not a preacher. So there's there's also that weird thing where they kind of hold they hold preachers up on a higher pedestal than I believe that they should be. Number one, and so they they try to hold them as if they're a deacon or if they are, you know, a bishop of a church. And I get those God God's the one that laid those rules out in the book, not me. Right. And so I get it, like for the le the church leader. But I think a lot of times they won't even let you behind the pulpit if you ever made a mistake, you know. Or it sort of They'd feels like they'd all be empty though, wouldn't they? Yeah, they believe they well, would. Well, that's what church here too. And uh, I'm just woo! saying, woo! <laughs> <laughs> nature boy in here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I, I find it interesting and unfortunate that they felt the need to to pull you off of your uh, your regular gig. And I get that that's just kind of how things work, but still seems like a a real bummer. It was at the time. I mean, uh, looking back on it now, it was kind of more of a blessing than it was, you know. Was it? Well, yeah. I, have to, I have to ask, though, uh, did they follow what we would call, those of us who read the Bible, you know, intimately, church discipline, or was it just, bye, Felicia? Um, I actually never left. Uh, it was just more of a, like a hush-hush thing. Just keep your mouth shut and so go So you just kind of yep. sidled out of the pulpit yep. into the pew, and that mm -hmm. was it? But did anybody like come to you one on one and uh, do that sort yes. of thing first? Yeah, yeah, I would say and did so. They, so they went through the proper channel of what biblical discipline is supposed to look like, or no? Um, you would say no. I don't know. That's I'm not a, asking to throw the church on the bus. Please don't. Question please don't. To, that's a hard question to answer because I really don't remember much about it. Okay, I, I kind of blocked it out. <laughs> it sounds, I assume, like it was probably just kind of a social pressure thing. Yeah, more or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I I wouldn't encourage it because, 
you know, here's what happens is is you you're forced into a situation that a you don't know if 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 that's what you're really going to do with life you know you're under yeah. um peer pressure so to speak i guess and you know being young and and having feelings that you don't know how to control at the time and you know, all these different things at that age and and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life number one which i still haven't figured that out right um two <laughs> you know you're you're you have a kid on the way you got to make enough money you got to do this you got to do that and then all these people are saying oh you got to get married too man you got to do this so we went to the courthouse and we got married yeah i wouldn't encourage that no Uh, because you know i mean people it's a it's a whole different world from going from yeah we're dating and i see you on friday saturday night to holy crap we're living in the same house you don't clean the way that i like things clean you don't you know i don't do this i'm going all the time trying to make a living uh, it was just a constant button heads. Yeah. You know, relationships be like that. That's right. That's life like be like that. Life be like that. Yeah. So if you, so obviously you were, you were preaching at the time, mm-hmm. you were in church at the time, there was some premarital sex going on. Absolutely. And then the baby, the baby. <laughs> He leaned into that one. Yeah. <laughs> you dang right, I did. Woo! Nature boy. No, but you have, but you're just like any other man in the world. Right. You, you have desires and things. And as far as like what's expected of a preacher or a person that's, you know, standing in a pulpit of a church, he's trying, you know, a lot of times when we go to church, like we're going to hear them preach. And I've always wondered. Like when our church life, a lot of times it feels like the preacher's preaching at the congregation, almost like we always need to get saved every week. It yeah. feels like that. It's almost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's, um, like you're taking the scripture and you're expounding from the scripture and you're trying to help people. Like this is this is how you can live your life. Like this is what, for instance, this is what Christ did. We're supposed to live like Christ. These are things that you can do. I mean, I think that there there is that, but in our world, down here in the South, it feels like we're getting preached at sometimes. Absolutely. Am I wrong, Cherry? No. I think a lot of it's the, they, they always say, you know, you need to get off the milk and get on the meat. And, yeah. But nobody will ever make that transition. Yeah. I feel like a lot of preachers are focused on, you need to be saved. You're going to go to hell. You're going to do this. You're, gonna, you're a sinner and everybody's a sinner. Yeah. You know, no, nobody ever breaks that being a sinner part into actually learning what the Bible's teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, you never get past that you're a sinner phase. So if you're mm. always sitting there looking at life like I'm a sinner, then why are you wanting to do any better? Yeah, there's a song that Cherry sings, actually, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Have you ever, have you ever thought about changing the words to I'm a saint saved by grace? Because isn't that what you are? I am, but I'm okay being a sinner. You are? I am. Do you know what God says about sin? I know that. <laughs> but as long as I'm in this flesh, it's here, I'm here, we're I know, but doing aren't it. You a, but aren't you a saint according to the Scripture? According to Scripture, yeah. So why do we focus so much on the sinner side of our lives instead of the saintly side? Because it's we're more not very, fun. Yeah, I would, exactly. I would say, honestly, for me <laughs> the personally— The sin part is well, more fun. Well, no, but I mean, well, yeah. you, you're going to tell a bad story before good. Yeah. You know? it's, I mean, that's— that's why the news is so popular. Every time a plane lands, lands safely, really, we're not going to talk about it. Exactly. That's yeah. Not, so let's talk really, about sin. That's more scary. Yeah. You know. It's, mm. You know. No. That's the same same thing people talk about the news all the well, time. I'm like, why is the news always murder? And you're like, because that's the exception. Nope. Yeah. Not for me. What is it? When you think about the words of the song, I know that I'm a saint only through 
God's grace, but it humbles you enough to remember that you are still that sinner in this flesh. And the only reason that you are even where you're at is through grace. Yeah. So it's not that I need to be up there singing, I'm a saint saved by grace. So whenever Christ, we're going to get back to you, Zach. This is good. This actually, this is the first time in a testimony series we've actually got into a conversation (laughs) like this. This is good. Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. Yes. And then in like two chapters later, he says, but your grace is sufficient for even me. Yeah. So he's both. Yeah. I mean, he's both there and he knows most of the time, if I'm given the choice, I'm probably going to fail. I agree with you, but he doesn't ever start a letter to the sinners at no. Ephesus or to the sinners <laughs> the, the to the church at or the saints. Sometimes to the saints at well, not always. Not always. No, you're right. But he does. He he talks to them like saints. Sometimes I feel like uh, the young preachers in our world today. The the reason why we have so more few today now than we've ever had in the history of our country is because of this. The way that our church life is set up today. And I don't think that it's accurate. I think that the way our churches are set up are actually wrong because what we're doing is we're boxing in the church in these brick and mortar places, and then we're preaching to the choir instead of going outside of those brick and mortars and actually talking to the people that need to hear it or going and helping people. I mean, I'm not, you do. I know you go out and help people, Sarita, but you see what I mean? And I know like you're getting ready to go out to Idaho and help, you know, some kids, you know, but that's all I'm saying. You know, I think that, Zach is no different than a lot of normal men that I know, but they they didn't have that call to preach on them. So it's almost like the call to preach lifts you up. It puts you on a pedestal. I feel the same way. Yeah. Did you did you ever feel like did you ever have pride like wanting that pedestal? No. No. No, I don't want to be left alone. Yeah. I don't like people. I am not a people person. I hate them. So God called you to preach. You can ask my wife. We go into a crowd and there's way too many people and I start freaking out. I'm done. I'm ready to go. Right. I'm not, I don't like talking to people. Um, I mean, even coming here, I've been nervous for a week knowing that I was coming. Yeah. And there's, you know, five people here. So, right. uh, I remember there was times where I would, it would be a Sunday night or something and I was preaching and, and, I would be puking before I walked up there, just knowing that I had to go. Like, wow. and then you know when wow. you leave that everybody's watching you. Like nobody pays attention to what you're saying. Yeah, nobody's really listening to. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. I go to church on Sundays, and sometimes I'm sitting there like, "Holy cow! Would you please just shut up? Yeah. Like I am starving. I am tired. I am ready to go. Like that's enough, dude. Let's yeah. go wrap it up." And I feel like that was a lot of the times, but then it's like, well, he was up there Sunday preaching. Let's, you know, we're going to keep an extra special eye on him this week. Yeah. And that's how it was. I mean, that's how, it, I mean, that's how it still is. You know, there's people that still, I'm the topic of conversation and we'll get to that later, but I mean, you're still the topic of conversation at times. You're mm-hmm. famous in a small town. That, yeah. That answers um, a question I had where it sounded like maybe you were, uh, after a while, you were thankful from the break that you got by uh, being taken off the air. It well, sounds like in the long term, maybe you were pretty okay with that. Well, I actually went back and, and you know, we'll get, I, I currently, I don't, now I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I disagree with most of what takes place in the church. Uh, if somebody tells me they're a Christian or wants to talk about the Bible, I typically, except, except for Rick, I, uh, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I could care less what they have to say about it mm-hmm. because it's it's a biased judgment that has been taught, and you've never studied that on your own. 
And, and I feel like that's where a lot of Christians come from. I just don't want to hear it. Yeah, we we did that quote from J.I. Packer. That's what I always think about how, and I don't have it in front of me, but basically it, he says that um, we don't become Christians like without having some sort of an impact from someone else, whether it's through sermons or through you know church life or whatever it would be. And so we basically build a worldview by what we were taught. Like we become a Christian. We, when you become a Christian, you you are in a vulnerable state. Number one, you understand that you, between you and the Creator, that there's a problem, mm-hmm. and someone's convinced you of that. Right. No matter what age you are, you come to that realization that there's something wrong between you and the Creator. Right. And so, how do you bridge that gap? And they tell you, well, the only way to bridge that gap is through Christ. And so. We have different ways that we reach out to them. Some churches say to say this particular sinner's prayer. Some people get saved, you know, at the altar. Some people get saved on the sixth pew from the back of the church on the right-hand side. Some people get saved in their car. Some people, you know, it happens at different times. But I've always found that the culture itself, you, you see people, and I haven't really seen you, Cherry, necessarily, but I've seen people where they get saved and saved again. You know, you know, not I know you, what you're yes. talking about, but no, thanks. not for you. I mean, it was very, very real. But I think the the reason why it's different for you, Cherry, is that you weren't necessarily raised in church, and so by the time you received, and how old were you when you got saved? So you'd lived 37 perfect years with no problems, and then found Jesus. Ha! No, you had a life. You you finally got to that place where you're like, are you real? Like yeah. now, I need you now. And so when you reached out, it was like a radical change for you. Right. But for people that are raised in the church, it's very different. Wouldn't you say that, Zach? I would absolutely say that. Because you're in a culture now. And so even like the call to preach, I've seen people go take the call because they felt the like that's what they should be doing. Because they were really smart or because they read the Bible well and they knew it well or because they were a good deacon or whatever it might be. That sh- they should be preaching. Right. Right. Even though they may not have the call, but because somebody says something, then in their brain it becomes the call mm-hmm. and they tell, they convince themselves, you know, it's kind of the same way about getting resaved. Like that, the fact is, is that how many times have you ever heard we're leaky vessels? Oh, yeah. Because we are. We are leaky vessels. Right. Every human being is going to fall. All of us yep. are going to fall. I feel a lot of it is, you know, you're, there's there's things that happen in a church that you don't experience every day, like mm-hmm. the the presence of the Lord, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and you hear of, of church services where God was, the presence of God was so in, engulfed in the church that people are just, they're just overwhelmed with it. Yeah. And we'll, you don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do feel like a sinner. You do feel like this. You do feel like that. And so you do go get saved or you get saved again or you rededicate or... You know, all of these things that take place, and it all boils back to you never grew to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there was never a spiritual, there's never a spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. I, I started experiencing a spiritual growth at one point in my life, and I still do. Like, I, I feel like I'm still growing in the Lord. I feel like I'm an idiot, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm still growing. And and when you feel like you're growing and you're moving towards something, you're, you're not ever looking back at where you was at. No, I get it. But now, I mean, I'm not, don't take this the wrong way. Like I'm not tooting your horn, but one of the most powerful times that I ever experienced inside of a church building was in the middle of a play and you were playing a soldier in that play. And then all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, you just started preaching. 
like in the middle of the play. And that was unusual. We've had people testify. We've had people think, but like, I saw you just like break out and the whole freaking church ran to the altar. I don't know if you remember that night, but I do. Not really. Well, I do. It was a very powerful night. And you talk about, Brian Coates always said he loved being in those ser- in those services where you could reach out and touch God with your thumb. Like you could just, you could feel the presence in the house, you know? Mm-hmm. It felt like that that night. So I know that even though you might think you're an idiot, I don't think you're an idiot by any stretch, but that you've had, I've seen it. I've seen where you, and this was in a church building, which would, I guess would have been a normal place, but it was a very abnormal service, very abnormal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I watched people like, run to the altar, which I've never seen a human being run to the altar. That was cool. I also saw a couple of people getting drugged to the altar, <laughs> which probably didn't work out for them. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. <laughs> but no, but I remember that. And so I've seen you, whenever the Lord's used you, I've watched that happen. And I, you know, I'm I'm a person that gets into group think. Like, I don't really, <laughs> I just realized, Andy's over there cuddling a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But so I've seen you in these unusual circumstances, right? Now, before the play, like, was there anything different in your life? Did you, were you prayed up or was there something going on? Like, I've been in those plays and so I know. I just wake up every day and give it my best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even then, like, I don't do nothing, anything, you know, I don't, oh, we got to, we got to go to church today. So let's make sure we pray 16 times before we get there. I, I just get up and go. Yeah. Half the time, I don't even pray over my meal. Right. I mean, like, I'm really bad for that. Like, I've been surprised I haven't choked yet, according to my parents. It's like, you got to pray over your food or your God's going to allow you to get choked on it. <laughs> yeah. There's a. You know, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I need I'm, to see that scripture verse. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, can we go back to where Heimlich you were kind of forced? Four. Not forced. Talked into marriage with the girl, your new child. Yeah. So, and it's a bad marriage because she didn't know how to clean or something. Well, it was (laughs) a lot of reasons. Um, I I think it was, we was both young and and foolish at the time. And it was, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a mistake because it gave me the three of the greatest blessings that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, my three kids, they're, they're amazing. And, and I wouldn't trade them for anything in this world. However, the six years I was with her mother, I would like to go back and, you know, try that again. Yeah. Not with her. Um, <laughs> That's not nice. Uh, That's not nice. Just the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very different time. Uh, and I remember, you know, after we got married, everything went back to normal. It was like nothing had ever happened. It was so all your sin had been wiped away. It just went away. And uh, I remember, you know, really trying to focus on growing and, and living to the expectations of, of what everybody around you is looking at. You know, you shouldn't cuss, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. So you were still in church? Like, yeah. Yeah. So Sundays, Wednesdays? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I hadn't, I never really got mad at that point. Um, okay. I mean, I understood. And, and I guess, uh, you know, I started going to Bible college. I really started trying to focus on studying and, and making sure that I knew what I was talking about. Um, and my second son was born. And when he was born uh, about, well, when we found out she was pregnant with him, he, uh, it, it was a very trying time because he was, they told us at our first ultrasound that he had downs. Um, he had a hole in his heart. Uh, they was going to have to do open heart surgery as soon as he was born. The doctor uh, told us that we was better off just aborting him. Um, 
I think they got every day we didn't. Um, Evil. They told us we should do that, that and this was a, a Christian OBG. Uh, you know, that it wasn't worth dealing with. It wasn't, you know, it was going to be too many trouble. He probably wasn't going to make it. Um, and I really set out to prove that that was not, po- you know, that it was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And me and the doctor had a really nice, uh, colorful conversation about that. Yeah. Um, Amen. You know, we I told them, and I was, that's not happening. And they, well, here's all the information. You, I don't need your information. I didn't need the information. Yeah. I knew that whatever it was going to be, it was going to be. Um, Did you consider yourself pro-life? I just considered just myself a very pissed off parent. Gotcha. You know, I had a, my first son on the way, and and they wasn't nobody going to take that away from me. If God himself would have took him, I'd have been okay with it. But other than that, I wasn't going to be talked into it. And we, I mean, it was three or four appointments that that's how it was. You know, hey, this is it, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, let me back up just a little bit. I I grew up, and, and my dad wasn't around much, so I didn't really have that father figure to lean on like most people. Um, I had my granddad, and he done a great job. God rest his soul. He's been gone now for three years, and... uh you know, if he hadn't have been around at the time, I don't I don't know if things would have been different. Yeah. You know, they very well could have been. But he was a very strong uh, spiritual leader in our house and in our home. And I thank the Lord he was there because, you know, there was a lot of trying times, leading, you know, even before that, that, uh, I mean, we ain't got time to go into, but, you know, we're hitting the highlights today. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, we were in the hospital and we were, we were at the... We were getting an ultrasound done once a week, and then it was twice a week. And he was born, and we were in the NICU for three months. Um, he couldn't – he had to have a feeding tube put down his nose. He uh, – his heart was uh, – the blood was mixing. I don't even understand all that took place. I just know it was real bad. Probably passing between different chambers. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what they explained to me to where I could understand. But I don't know what that's called. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and we brought him home uh, three months later. Then we were in and out of the hospital because he wouldn't eat. Um, they decided to do open heart surgery at six months old. We took him to Charlotte. Uh, just the stress of everything going on. The only thing that we I had to lean on was the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I started questioning whether or not he was listening, whether or not he cared, you know, whether or not that. He was even answering prayers. Um, we left down there uh, and came home, and it was Christmas Eve. We had took the kids to see everybody. Um, everybody was excited to get to see Braden and and hold him, and you know, because nobody really had the chance to be around him at that point. Um, we got home Christmas Eve night, and he quit breathing on us. In the mm-hmm. middle of the night. And I don't know what it, I do. I guess it was the Lord that woke me up and said, hey, go check on him. And I went in there and his face was blue. Um, I called 911. They couldn't figure out where my house was. So we got in the car and we hauled ass and to my grandparents' house because I knew they knew where it was. And we got over there and, and he, had, he had took two breaths between our house and their house. Um, and EMS rolled up and they took him and rushed him to mission. Um, we found out that he had uh, complete tracheal rings. 
And for those that don't know what that is, most people's cartilage in their trachea is a C-shaped. As you grow, your trachea grows. Well, his doesn't. His is the size of a end of a pin. Um, very small. So anytime he gets uh, the, what they consider the croup, uh, we go to the hospital. Um, we were in the hospital forever. They couldn't figure out what it was. We went to uh, Winston-Salem. Uh, they flew him down there. They finally are the ones that told us what was going on. And, oh, he's going to have to have another surgery. And it was this and it was that. And the whole time I'm just like, holy cow, what what do I do? Um, so I really started praying and asking the Lord, you know, what use this to benefit you. And ultimately, at the time in my life, that's how I felt about everything, is everything happens for a reason. Uh, I still feel that way. You know, whatever you're going through in life, uh, I, I don't feel that you really have any control over it. Um, I've experienced way too much to say that you have control over your own life, because you don't. There's, you know, what's going to take place is going to take place. And, you know, it's going to happen the way that it's going to happen, good or bad. Um, we finally came home and went to church. And, you know, I was still preaching. Uh, I was actually preaching more then than I ever had. Um, and I remember standing at the back of the church one Sunday and a lady come out and she looked at me and she says, the life you're living is why he's dealing with so much. Mm. And I was like... What? What are you talking about? You're, it's the sin in your life is why he's having so many problems. I was like, okay, well, what sin exactly are you speaking of that, you know, <laughs> uh, okay, all right, well, I'm glad you feel that way. I don't really know how to respond to that, so <laughs> have a good day. Um, and it was just stuff like that, on and on. There was two or three others that said that and, and this, and I'm like, Does it okay. start to wear you out after a while? Uh, there was a lot that wore me out after a while. Um, of course. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine blaming you for your child's illness. That is just so wildly off the chart. That <laughs> it's a common thing, Andy. People, I'm not Ooh. saying it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not common day, for people yeah. to look at it and say, you're doing something wrong. That's why God's punishing you. But see, like in the scriptures, there was a man that was blind and, you know, they they asked him the question, you know, like, why was this man born blind, Jesus? You know, was it because of somebody's sin? Was it a parent's sin or did, you know, what was it? And he said, it was none of these, that he was born the way that he was for the glory of God. And then he gave him a sight, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how radical Jesus was, you and, know, so. And that's how I feel Braden's life's been, uh, He'll go to church and he'll get up there and he'll just enjoy the, he'll enjoy it. Like it's the greatest thing that's happened to him in his whole life every Sunday when you go to church. Yeah. So, and the older he gets, the more vocal about it he becomes. You know, he he thinks he's a preacher after service. He'll go stand behind the pulpit and pull his stool up and he'll, you know, you can't understand nothing he says, but the Lord does. And I feel like that, I feel like his life is a, is for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never one time felt that it was because of me is why he was <laughs> going through what he was going through. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that I quit caring what people thought about me a long time ago. Um, yeah. And I still don't. I mean, I could really give two shits what anybody thinks. Yeah. Um, I am who I am. And if you like it, fine. If you don't, fine. You know, that's, 
it, it was just one of those times that was really hard. You mm-hmm. know, everything was everything was hard. I was getting hit. I was working twelve hour shifts. I worked five days one week and two the next, and it I never worked a full week. Um, either week, something would come up. We was in the hospital. We was here. We was we had to take him to do this. We had to go do that. Uh, finances started crumbling. Uh, you know, all these things just come into this whirlwind of emotion. And I think my wife at the time was dealing with the fact that our son did have problems, um, not able to face it. And I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know what to do to help. I didn't know what to say. I just kept doing what I was doing. Um, and eventually we grew apart. Uh, we had our third child, um, and during the pregnancy, things just kind of hit the bottom. Um, there was days that we didn't see each other. Um, we didn't, I didn't come home till seven, eight o'clock. And when I walked in the door, she was gone. Um, I got the kids to bed. She went to work. She would go to the gym, go to work. I'd see her the next night for 10 minutes. Um, and I, we, and I think we ended up intentionally doing that so that we didn't have to deal with each other. Um, one of my biggest things, I didn't want to argue in front of the kids. Um, I didn't want to fight in front of them. I grew up, and that's how it was. You know, my mom and dad, they fought all the time, and they would be on the phone yelling at each other, and it's just like, man, I ain't doing this. And, you know, the the problem started there, and it got to a point to where I just didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to a point to where... All of those things that were taking place, it, it just it didn't matter to me. I could care less where she was at or what she was doing. I didn't care if she came home. Uh, I was there for the kids. I worked, and I took care of them, and that was my main focus. You know, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I made a lot of mistakes in the marriage that I've tried to fix now with with my new wife, and not fall back into that same path, mm-hmm. not fall back into the same the same problems. Yeah. Um, things were really good as far as spiritually, uh, according to the church. Um, you know, I was preaching all the time. Uh, it was going great. Um, my ex-wife was never there uh, there was very few times if we was at if i was at my home church she would come because you got to maintain your uh your look on you know what everybody sees you as but if we was somewhere if i went somewhere else she wouldn't go you know and it, it finally started getting to me um it finally got to the point where i was just like you know what i can't do this no more I'm, I can't mentally handle the separation. And this went on for, before my third son was born, this had went on for a year or more. Um, Do you find it odd, Zach, that you're preaching at this time, right? Yes. So did it ever occur to you that maybe you had, you know, is there any way to to not preach, you know, as you're a preacher and you feel that call, can you can you step back from it, you know, and focus, 
try to focus on your family or, I mean, I don't know what it is. Do you just feel like a lot of pressures or, because. At that time, yeah, I didn't feel like that was an option. I felt like that was the most important thing in my life. Yeah. Um, And that was taken away. Because it's so odd because you can, you like you have those, the mountaintop experiences, you know, like you're in these, like. You'll be preaching, let's say, and you'll see somebody's life radically changed. And when you see that, you're like, man, I I must be okay. Like, I'm all right, you know, because why would God use me for that person if I wasn't? Do you ever feel like that? I felt like that all the time. And then I'd go home and it would be, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And it was like you'd go from here to here in a matter of 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, Did you have anybody in your life that was trying to work with you? Like, did you have any adult members in the churches or maybe in the uh, other other preachers that talked to you at that time? Uh, I had a pastor at the time, but I don't open up about myself a lot. Yeah. So I kept most of what took place in my home to myself. Yeah. Um, I didn't really, I don't really have a lot of friends. I mean, I had quote unquote friends. Um, That's what I'm like. He doesn't like people, remember? <laughs> I'm yeah. a quote unquote friend. <laughs> no, Rick, you are a friend. <laughs> You're one of the Rick. few. <laughs> Rick. Billy, um, did, Billy did Rick's name with air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Rick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then then things started kind of getting crazy. Um, my third son was born, or my third child, second son, he was born, and uh, rumors started spreading around the church that I was messing around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Uh, Ain't nobody then, got time for that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know it's true. <laughs> you find that the free the time truth. to do that. Yeah. Um, Where there's a will, there's a way, Andy. I guess that's true. <laughs> it's been going on for centuries. Yeah, I guess millennia. People, I guess people figure it out, but that's what I think when people talk about cheating. I'm like, wow. I'm trying to figure out how they have the energy. Yeah, um, yeah time, amen. energy, both. Yep. I just get, yeah, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> no, right. Uh, two women. I mean, one's hard enough, but two. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, it was one of those times where you just, you're like, okay. And then it started getting worse and worse. Um, it started being talked about more often. And at this point you try to, you know, share your side of the story and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, this is what I heard. Yeah. And people hear these things, and they're like, well, this is what so-and-so told me. They seen you. Did you know uh, gossip is a sin? I was like, okay, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, there's a— And there come a point where I just quit trying. You quit trying to I, defend yourself? Yeah. Uh, and when I quit trying to defend myself, when I got a phone call from the church and had a big, nice deacons meeting with a pastor and got asked to uh, turn in my license, I had till the end of the week, my preaching license, which— I, doesn't even make sense. Um, and then was that issued by the Holy Spirit or the state? Oh, this was what? issued. This was issued by the <laughs> church. I've never heard of a preaching license. I'm so picking I'm, up what you're laying down. No, they're everywhere. I'm oh confused. yeah, I every Baptist church in the South. You I have to have a preacher's license. You know what? I, I, I think you can even Molly's flea market. <laughs> yeah. sell them there. Oh, Is wow. there an underground market for that? Because yeah, it's called uh, right. <laughs> it's like some sort of a worldwide church so that you can get ordained. It's possible. You can do it online. You don't even have to know nobody to do we it were, online. Yeah, we were we were married by a friend of ours that was ordained online. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it works. He's married a couple of our friends. The That's kind of what he does with it. <laughs> I, the state actually doesn't really care. Like most most marriage licenses, if you you might find out they're actually not valid because people married him that actually weren't ordained. 
which is weird. You can get away with it. I mean, it's not like, of course, if you get a divorce, it could suck for you later if you could prove that you weren't actually married by an ordained minister. But who's going to go through all that trouble? Probably on what you nobody. got. Depends What's on how much money you got, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's Dang. a good point. Wow. No, but anyway, Zach. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those times in life. I just shut down. Uh, yeah. It wasn't long after that that we split. Oh, yeah, yeah that sounds um, brutal. Yeah. That it, sounds brutal, man. I found out the root of most of that was coming from somebody very close to me. So, Her? It, uh, I'm not going to go into okay. details. We, I wouldn't go that yeah. deep here, but I, what I will say is this. Do you guys have you guys ever heard the story of like um, gossip is like toothpaste? Like when you it's easy to get toothpaste out, but it's not so easy to get it back in the tube. Right. Or have you ever heard of the one where the it was like the preacher took the young man, this young man had gossiped about somebody in his church. And so he went and gets the young man and he takes him up on top of the church, you know, on the roof, and he takes a knife and he cuts open a feather pillow. Have you ever heard that? And he shakes the pillow. And then all the feathers just go flying around. And he said, this is what gossip is like. And he was like, oh, wow, I've learned my lesson. He said, not yet. Go pick up all the feathers and bring them back. <laughs> That's the lesson. Right. Once once the, once the gossip and rumors and things start, people start talking, they think they have proof or whatever it might be. And so then it just starts permeating through all of the people. And you can't. And the person that's being spoken about has no power. And the person that's speaking about it, they don't realize a lot of times what they're doing is actually perpetuating this problem. And then it's, let's use another big word, promulgating through the whole, you know, through a whole group of people. And there is a tendency with stuff like that to assume guilt. Yeah. There is. Of course. I mean, you're guilty until proven innocent. And in most cases, if you think about it, it's not, you know, so, but that's, and so when you see that in a group, of people that, you know, you've been in a relationship for a long time, do you think that feels good? I mean, no, not at all. Well, and the thing about it is, is, you know, you you don't have the truth anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've said it, and, and I've tried to always live that way. Uh, you told me one time that, that I was the, uh, how was it, the... Something about telling the truth. I can't even remember now. It left me. I told you that one of the things that I loved about you is that you never lied to me. You told me the truth even when it sucked. Yeah. And that's one thing that I knew about Zach is that he would look right at me. Boldly. You said I was boldly honest. Yeah. That's how it was. And, and, you know, that's something that I really Brutally strive, honest. Brutally honest. Brutally honest. And that's something that I've, I've lived to try to be is honest because at the end of the day, I don't have to keep up with stories and lies and who I told what and if I just tell you the truth to begin with. Yeah. Um, I kind of had that one beat into me as a child. Um, you know, I lied once or twice and that was the end of that. Um, <laughs> I was like, man, this sucks. I ain't doing that again. <laughs> right. Um, so did the deacons give you and the pastor, they didn't give you a chance to tell your side of the story or they, they just did. didn't believe so you? I, uh, they did. But by this point it was, it, it was the too well far was Perception gone, is not well, reality. Was, and, and it was being recorded and I was like, you know what? I'm not even, no, we're not, I'm not even talking. I didn't even attempt. But think about it this way, too. Think about, put yourself in the pastor and the deacon's position, because you don't have to point at them and say that they're being bad. Their job is to be over a church. Right. Yeah. Correct. So now they've got a body of people, and this this whole thing's going on in the church. And and this is, it's a problem at this point. It is. It's disrupting things. It's going on. And so you just stepped away. Right. Which is honestly a very, 
probably the best thing. The he best could have thing done. that could the have best happened. choice that was available. Yeah. But at some point, Had the pastor needs to have a stopped. sit down with the people and say, "Y'all need to stop this right now." Yeah, that's where a pastor needs to not worry about what toes he steps on and tell them to stop it. Yeah, or get out. Well, I mean, and I think that that a lot of times, if you step down, you kind of exit out. You know, like you just you but walk. Then there's away. a perception of guilt, or and you're asked just not to come back. Or you're asked not to come back, but you're not At like. Church? But there's no That's guilt. Awful. I mean, there, there's an assumption of guilt when you do that, right? right. If, if somebody steps out of a political position, he resigns. Mm-hmm. We assume that whatever he was accused of doing, he did, whether it's the truth or not. Right. And yeah. sometimes you find out twenty years later mm, that wasn't the truth. But so I think the perception is by the people in the congregation, not like me and the rest of the people in this room. Is that you were guilty? Because I don't know what the oh, rumors absolutely. were. Yeah, I don't assume you're I don't guilty. Either. I assume you're innocent. I heard. But I heard one or two, um, and I was I'm just sorry. like, okay. Uh, I'm still hearing things to the up until last week that I was like, man, I wish I'd have known that this was going on because it sounds like I had a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I mean, if if I'd have been me then, oh boy. Um, I was having a blast. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I didn't even know it. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, it was a great time. Um, that I don't remember. If, <laughs> yeah. if, you know, I could, if I knew that it really took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I was at. You know, it was one of those deals. And of course, we just bought a brand new car. We had just bought a brand new house. The house finished. I lived there a week and that was the end of it. Yeah. Um, wow. And it was, I hated everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was getting, people was texting and saying things, friends that I thought that were my friends turned and was, you're a liar and you're lying to me. And it was just like, all right, you know what? With a new baby. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Did you get a root of bitterness in you? I still have a root of bitterness in me. Yeah. I still hate everybody. Do you want rid of it? Mm, not some days. You some feel days like I don't. if you get rid of it that you're leaving yourself vulnerable for the future? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, See, Christ uh, tells us to love our enemies, and you know it better than me. Yes, he does. And he, the, those people that gossiped about you, whether it was true or not, which we know it was not true, but let, let's say it this way even all that gossip and all of the hate and all the things that came at you, you're commanded to love every single one of them. And you've, you're a preacher. Yep. Whether you're preaching now or not doesn't matter. The call remains. Right. You haven't destroyed your call. You you might people might say, "Oh, but you destroyed your witness." Guess what? Yeah. There's not a man alive who hasn't destroyed their witness in some fashion. If they if you don't know it, it's because it hasn't been told. Right. That's the only reason. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does things wrong. People try to hide it. Mm-hmm. So you've endured all of this crap. But yet, down deep inside, you still don't like people. I right? never did, though, so that's nothing new. So what about <laughs> loving people? Sometimes you got to love people from a distance. Yeah. Um, I try to love everybody. Where's that Bible verse? It's uh, somewhere that's... In, <laughs> First I, hesitations? Know, yeah. <laughs> First hesitations? <laughs> High five across <laughs> the room. Yeah. First um, hesitations, 413. <laughs> you got to... Uh, sometimes I feel like the Lord gives you enough sense whether or not to get involved with things again. What about preaching? Uh, that's a topic for a different day. No. <laughs> so are no, you is. not involved in church at all now? How long has it been? I go on Sunday. Okay. How long has it been since you no longer started? Stop. You were no longer in the pulpit anymore. It's been about eight or nine years. Yep. But you you still attend a church. Yes. 
Different church, I'm yes. assuming. Okay. Absolutely. Different denomination? No. 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 No, just a different group of people. Yeah, but that's, I mean, um, that's okay. I mean, if it's if it's what you believe, it's where they come from, then that's fine. We, It's really easy to point the finger at churches. It's so easy to do it. Do you remember your story, Sarita, how you— I don't remember my story at all. Tell me again. <laughs> you were mad at your church because they were out there— Protesting, protesting at the abortion at clinic. Protesting at the abortion clinic when you were going to get your abortion. But you went back how many years later? And they gave you the pulpit, and you spoke about that, and all those people said, "I had no idea." They and had then, no idea, and but you, then you got the love, right? Yeah. But how long was that root of bitterness? How long was it before you got back there? It was probably twelve years. Boom! Twelve years that she felt things that actually weren't accurate. But that yeah. day, that afternoon, I felt like I had lost fifty pounds. Yeah. Because I had been—I didn't realize how bad, how long I had been holding on to these people that I hated because they were judging me the day I went in. They didn't even remember me going in because I was in disguise, but I thought they were judging me when really I was judging myself. Right. Like it was my own judgment and I, nobody was harsher on me than me. And when when that part of that was gone, it was it was gone and it was amazing how different you're right, getting rid of that bitterness felt. And at some point, I pray that the Lord lifts that from you, but you got to be willing to let Him take it from your, you know, clenched fist, because that's right. how I was. My, fi- my fist, I, w- I was mad. And then I went, huh, I'm pro-life now. <laughs> I mean, that could be me. That's not where I choose to be. But at some point, maybe you'll decide to unclench and give it back to him. I mean, I'm not saying it's not impossible. I'm I'm sure there's an amount to which Sarita is correct that there's a difference between the amount of gossip and the people, the actual people that were gossiping and your perception of the gossip. Yeah. Obviously, in this case, the gossip existed. It's not a perfect parallel. Right. But I'm sure she's right that whatever you feel is is an exaggerated version of the still awful but much smaller truth. And I wonder. I was going to say I, I don't, don't know that it's exaggerated. I, I can't agree is- because you don't know the church world with the preacher world and how really? small and yeah. confined mm-hmm. it is. It's not like Twitter where you know somebody puts out something and you feel like there was four comments about you, but it feels like the world, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in a group like this, They're, it feels talk, like talk, every talk. single mm-hmm. person is looking at you. You feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's almost like you can't wait to get out of there sometimes. I don't I, know if you've ever felt like that before. Well, but I, I mean, the, the weight of that's extremely real because I remember sitting in the driveway at my ex-wife's house and I was done. Yeah. I had a 380 and I had it in my lap and I put it to my forehead and that was it. Yeah. And what stopped you from that? The light turned on in the kitchen. Really? Yep. That was the, the light? only thing that stopped me. Yeah, the light came on. She had That's got right. up to fix a bottle. Mm. The light. And I remembered that I got two kids, three kids in there that need me. Yeah. And, but it was real. I, I mean, it was, that was it. I was done. I sat there and I prayed and I said, God, I've, I've done everything you've ever asked. I've I've tried. I've gave it my best every day, and this is what is taking. And I I said, this is what you're giving me in return. Um, and I put that gun to my head more than once. Um, and I wonder if, but that time there was the closest I had my finger on the trigger, and that was it. I didn't care. And for whatever reason, it was two thirty in the morning, and the light flipped on in the kitchen, and it. Hit me just like that. That 
you got three kids in there that need you. And what are the, what's their life going to be if you're not here? And what are they going to see if you're not part of it? And how are they going to be raised? And all these thoughts just came in, and, and I, I just said, all right, you know what? If what? this is the cross that you've got for me to bear, then I'll bear it. I mean, there's there's times to this day that, that, that we still find out things that were said. Uh, and you're just sitting there going like, what the heck were you – what are you smoking? Like, this don't even make sense, man. Like, do you know me? Right. You know? Um, but I was alone. That I was I was alone. There was my family, my friends, so-called friends, my family, and and I feel like I say friends loosely, uh, in in quotations because if if your friends are real friends, they don't turn their back on you. Period. It doesn't matter if you're the worst scum of the earth. It's like a a mother with a child. Um, and, and how many times do you see it on the news and on TV of kids that's sh- people that's killed somebody or people that's done this and people that's, and their mom sitting there? I still love them. I forgive them. Yeah. You know, and I feel like a true friendship. That's how a true friendship should be. You know, I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna be there for you whether I agree with you or not. And if I don't agree with you, then I'm gonna encourage you in a healthy manner that doesn't involve you wanting to go shoot yourself or mm-hmm. that doesn't involve you wanting to, uh, to, to just end it all. I mean, there's, there's no, there's nowhere to turn. And in those moments is when that I've found that I've become the closest to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I thank God for those moments. Um, I thank him for those times and for what's taking place. Um, no, I don't go to church often now. Um, I've got a lot of reasons why I don't, um, I try to avoid going unless my wife asks me. Um, I really try to sleep in every Sunday morning so I don't have to. Well, let's talk about her. So you remarried. Yes. And she's actually in the studio with us. You can't hear her. She's over in the corner being quiet as always. But her facial expressions are great if she's you've been so watching awesome. them. Yeah. Oh, I love her. I love her so much. But um, you're remarried. Yes. And your your kids are doing well. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, Braden's uh, not been in the hospital in eight years. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because— it was uh, about a few months before that. That's when the lady come to me and said, oh, you're the reason this is the reason, you know, you're a sinner. That's why he's so sick. And then all of a sudden, I'm the biggest sinner in the Fletcher. And he ain't been to the hospital since. Yeah. You know, he's not been sick. We haven't had procedures. We, He's been doing really well. So it was kind of like a, uh, it was funny. Whenever, uh, I love when Jesus talks about he says, if you love those that love you, mm-hmm. you know, don't even, he says the publicans, but I always say, don't even the Republicans do that. <laughs> don't the Republicans do that. You got to love someone that doesn't love you. Right. That's where, that's the rubber meets the road. That's oh, yeah. really where it's at. Mm-hmm. That's a tough thing to do. Absolutely. You know, and that's why I love you and you know that. We've yes. been friends for a very long time and not in quotations, it's been for real. <laughs> like, I love you no matter what. No matter what, brother. That's how it's going to be. But, you know, I want to see you in the pulpit again, or at least I want to see you preaching on the street. I don't care where it is. I've seen what happens when you preach. I want to see it again someday. I hope that you will. You know, I really do. We'll see if that's the, you know, the path the Lord Start chooses. preaching at your wife more. No. <laughs> <laughs> she just gave me, if you could see her look, Andy, it's like she, knives. Uh, she, she hits like a man. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm good. I bet you. Good girl. I bet. <laughs> yeah. 
man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. I can't believe you did it. You did it. We've talked about it for a long time. Yeah, I'm really We're not glad scary. You- <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's the story. She's scary. I'm <laughs> yeah. not scary with that music. Oh yeah. Wow, I'm a pretty boy. Well, <laughs> nature boy. <laughs> not pretty boy. That's <laughs> not a proud boy. <laughs> yeah. No, not that either. No. No, no, no. Man, no, but I really appreciate you being here, Zach. And um, thanks for listening. You know, thanks for telling people about our podcast. And uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't share anything about some of the things that I've experienced in my life just since I've known you. And um, you've affected my life in a lot of positive ways. In the scripture, when we used to go to the fire department, you know, we went yep. to the fire department together and those guys couldn't, they didn't want to go to church because they kept getting called out. So we brought a little devotion to them and we had some great times in there with those guys. And, I forgot about that. Yeah. And, um, but you yeah. could do that kind of ministry. Yeah. I mean, I could do that kind of ministry, and I'm not a preacher. But he can do it effectively. (laughs) Just kidding. Honestly, you're probably right. He'll get to him better than I would. If the Lord calls you to it, it'll be effective. Yeah. Well, he certainly opened all those doors for us back then, you know, and and a lot of things happened back then, which was awesome. But I would love to be able to hear. I can't wait. I'm going to have you back here in one year. I want to see how things are going. Okay. I'm not going to stop praying for you. I never will. Ever. Now we're in a good place now. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm, oh, yeah, let's go to church, but I, I'm uh, I'm at a place where I don't hate people as much. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I'm starting to uh, gain gain some of that back. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's a healing process. Mm-hmm. And I heard, you know, you say a couple weeks ago, it's a healing process, and it doesn't matter whether it be an abortion or, or whether it be a loved one that passed or whether it be a, a bad experience, you know, you've got to heal from these things and that takes time. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, it's called a process, yeah, not a day. Right. It's a healing moment. And, it's and a, a healing lot process. Of, a lot of people like Tiziana they, says, that took a minute. And a lot of people they don't they don't understand the damage that they do. Mm-hmm. But if you're the one on the end of that damage, you you experience it. Yeah, you know. I heard a pastor tell me one time that because I didn't really understand what gossip was and why it was included in that list of sins, right between murder and adultery or something like that. And he said it's really the murder of someone's spirit. Yeah. And that's really what you, you put that those words into a human being picture for me because they murdered. And had murdered your spirit and murdered your character, and almost to the point where you took your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that would have been murder on them. Yeah, yeah. And we as Christians are sometimes the worst about it. Yeah. But here's the thing: if he had done all of those things, he still deserved the love. That's true. And the exactly. affection, and the attention, yeah. and the prayers, and the uplifting. He still deserved all those things, he even if he'd done everything those people had ever said. It you, does not matter. You know, the Bible speaks about having a board in your own eye. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of times we, and I, I feel like a lot of it is, is we look at somebody else to see their problem. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can look and say, man, he didn't do this. He didn't do that. And da, 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 da. And then the, the whole time that I'm doing that. I'm I'm covering up what I'm doing. Right. You know, there's things inside of me that need to change. Yeah. There's things that I say and things that I do and you know that 
that I need to work on, but it's easier for me to say, well, look at them. Yeah. You know, they look at how they're dressed or look at what they drive or, or look at where they go to church or, or well, they're not a Christian if they do this. Mm-hmm. You don't know these people, you know, yeah. and, and we're too busy focusing on what's around us instead of us. You know, and that's one of the things that we, I've really been working on here lately is, is stop focusing on everybody else. Focus yeah. on me. I got a lot of mistakes. I got plenty of mistakes to go around. Stop straining you know? out a gnat mm-hmm. and swallowing a camel. Yep. That's what Jesus said. Or like the splinter. Yep. And it's weird. I was getting ready to say that. you, The splinter, he says, why are you so worried about the splinter in my eye when you've got a board in your own? But I think sometimes once somebody has said so many things to you, it's almost like you start creating a board in your own. Yep. And then all of a sudden... You kind of you see what other people are doing, and then that root of bitterness like yep. starts going towards other people. Absolutely. So that's something that the Lord has to work on us individually. Whenever you become a victim of gossip, mm-hmm. you know, but of anything. Again, like I said, wouldn't matter if you've done it all. I would have loved you no matter what. Period. Well, I want to say something to you. So I heard you preach, and I heard you preach pretty much right after I got saved, and I came there that night. Rodney didn't come with me. And you were up there preaching, and there was so much fire in your preaching. It was exciting to me. It was awesome. And I couldn't wait to get home to go back and say, there's this other guy there that preached, and he (laughs) did such a great job, and you have to hear him preach. And I don't really care what you did in your life. It does not make a hill of beans to me whether you did what, what was said about you or whether you didn't. Because if all that was going on, that's not what I was seeing on the on that up there behind that pulpit when you were preaching. And God was on it, and I felt it, and I was blessed by it. So I'm going to tell you something. If you ever change your mind and the Lord ever is willing to let you do it again, by all means, let me know where you're preaching because I'm coming to hear it. Now I want to come. <clears throat> Andy, I'll let you, no you bring idea. the recording stuff. We'll record it and put it on the podcast. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> sure. And you have to do what Cherry says. <laughs> no. That's it. So yeah. I'm just saying. We'll all go see you Sunday. Or she'll was, annihilate you. Yeah. <laughs> I dare I've you. A lot, I've heard a lot of preachers. I have. And when you preached, it really stood out to me, and it's it's never changed. How long, changed. how long ago was that, Jerry? I'd say it was right at eight years because I was right around the time. It was, eight eight years when all that was go- it was right as all that was going on because oh, I yes. remember them That's coming. Awesome. Yeah, I remember when you got saved. I was I was like three rows in front of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just I want you to know, I've never been one to really fit into any clique or anything, and I don't really care too much about fitting in anywhere. Rick, yeah. you know this, but I'm gonna tell you something. I know the Lord was using you. And brother, I'm going to tell you, we all make mistakes. You know me, and you know a lot of people in my life, and you know my kids and things like that. And I'm telling you, I got a lot of mistakes of my own, Zach, but, I, but I'm telling you, if you ever preach again, by all means, please let me know, because I'm coming. Yep, me too. That's a, that's a decision. Me and Rick was talking about it here a while back, and he says, would you ever do it again? If the Lord opens the door, I'll go. Yeah. I've never not went. I mean, I don't want to. I've never wanted to. <laughs> you know, I don't. <laughs> It's not my thing. Uh, that root of bitterness that you got inside of you has got to go. Yeah. You got to let him have it. You got to let him have it. Let Absolutely. him make sweet water out of it. It does not matter what no. our pasts were. It does not matter. There are people out there that need to hear the gospel. Yep. And you bring it with fire. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I want to hear it again. Man, what a great show. I'm so glad you're here, Zach. I love you, brother. Love you, here. Love your brother. Love you too, man. So glad you're here. Cherry. I'm not going to have any outro music. We'll just Good leave thing. that. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Billy, Sarita, 
So glad. Andy, thanks so much. Thank you. And Mindy, thanks for being in the studio with us. It's a lot of fun. I see you guys looking at each other, spreading, shedding some tears. That's sweet. So go home and hit him like a man. <laughs> Make him, him really cry. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks for listening, guys. We will talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. We have got a very special guest here today on the Burroughs. It's another testimony. Yeah, raise it up if you want. Woo! (laughs) Jet flying, limousine riding. (laughs) What does he say? Son of a gun. I can't remember. Yeah. I used to work with a guy who used to say that all the time. Is there any chance you guys have seen Righteous Gemstones yet? Yes. Okay. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, It's a little over the top for me sometimes that guy who's the the guy that wrote all that with the dark hair yeah his character is you're talking about the son yeah, yeah the, the dark haired Danny son. McBride yeah that guy that show like kind of like swings between brilliant writing and so painful to watch yeah. that I will curl up into a fetal ball it's a cringy show because that's less work than turning it off yeah. I guess <laughs> <laughs> But there are points of really good writing in it. Yeah, it makes you wonder how true to life some of those characters could be, though. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure, you know, across the broad spectrum of humanity, I'm sure those people have existed in a form slightly more dilute than what they portray, but still. I I bet you that there's a couple of televangelists that watch that, and it's like watching The Real Wives of Beverly Hills for them. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh. My son really is that stupid. (laughs) Yeah. We were talking about, we were talking about men of God with uh, questionable sons, weren't we? (laughs) Yes, we were. Just last time we were here, I think. That's all right. Yep.